just the idea that you would communicate that to your own kid that like i would rather see you dead than lose your virginity thanks for joining us at colts to consciousness this storytelling podcast is meant to be for entertainment purposes only and does not substitute for any medical advice we may discuss triggering topics and we ask that you make your personal mental health a priority Lastly, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the host. Hey everyone, my name is Shalise Ansola, and this is Cults to Consciousness, where we discuss leaving high-demand religions and organizations and finding healing and independence through awareness and true individual sovereignty. Thank you so much for being here, and if you were listening only and you would prefer to watch us to see the whole video, head over to my YouTube channel at Cults to Consciousness, and you can see the whole thing there. Today... Oh, like and subscribe, all the things. <laughs> so today is a very exciting day. I mean, they're always exciting, but I'm super excited about this one because I have been talking to this person in the DMs for a long time, maybe even like over a year or two, and he has been anonymous. His username is True Mormon Quotes on Instagram, where he posts you guessed it, true Mormon quotes. And I'm so excited because today we are revealing his identity. So if you want to see this handsome man, make sure to go to YouTube right now, pause wherever you're listening. So without further ado, thank you so much for joining me, Brian. Stop, go on, go on. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, thank you very much for having me on. Um, I Yeah, I look forward to our conversation. Yes. Oh my gosh, we have so much to talk about. So you run this page called True Mormon Quotes, where you post True Mormon Quotes that are, um, what would you say, mostly by the First Presidency, people who are leaders of the church. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, I try to make sure that the quotes are usually important leaders in the church because there's always, you know, the feedback from members of the church that, oh, well, it was some 70 that said it a long time ago, so we don't care. <laughs> I try to usually quote apostles in the First Presidency, um, who are the highest leaders in the church. But sometimes I also quote 70s um, and, you know, try to try to get a good mix in there. Yeah. So these quotes, they are usually pretty disturbing. Uh if <laughs> it's a type of quote where if you heard any other church leader say it, you would be like, um, that's a cult. Like, I'm out of here. But the funny thing is, and we'll get into this later, but people read these and they're like, well, it doesn't really matter. The church is true. So we're going to dive into that mentality. We're going to dive into some of the juicy quotes. And we're also going to dive into Brian's story so you guys can know kind of where he's coming from, how he got here, and how he's doing now that he has put all that behind him. So, Brian, let's start with your story. Where does it all begin? Yeah, um, so I I was raised in the church. You know, I grew up, um, I got baptized when I was eight years old as most good Mormons do. I apologize for using the word Mormon, but... Thank you for clarifying. Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is um, the church we are speaking of, and we'll talk about why we can no longer see Mormon a little bit later. Go on. Victory for Satan, so... Um, <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> I grew up in the church, and so, you know, I went to all of the primary as a little kid. Um, I went to, you know, seminary as a teenager, like I said, I got baptized at eight years old. Wait, and then, can you clarify? Can you clarify what seminary is for people who aren't familiar? Yeah, sorry. So seminary, unlike other, you know, uh, churches like, 
the Catholic Church, for example, where you go to seminary to become a priest in the LDS Church or the, the in Mormonism, you go to seminary as a teenager in high school, and it's a place where you go to learn about uh, the scriptures. So, um, you know, the Bible, the Book of Mormon, uh, the Pearl of Great Price, and the Doctrine and Covenants are the standard works or the scriptures that the Mormon Church uses. So that's where you go to learn about the scriptures. And if you're lucky, lucky, and you grew up in a place like Utah, it can actually be an actual hour of your class period. So like, when you sign up for art history, you can actually sign up for seminary as one of your periods of class. Um, I experienced both of these because I grew up in Utah and that's what I did. Um, That's what the good Mormon kids did. But when I moved to Portland, where it's not primarily Mormons, it was before school, which is at like 530 in the morning. And I was like, Mom, do I really have to go to this? And she's like, no and I was like cool because like there was way too many too many other things that I was doing but anyway yes seminary um not only are we getting them young in primary when they're literally babies but as soon as you hit certain stages of your life you are further indoctrinated into the culture to make sure that you really know exactly what the straight and narrow path is so I interrupted with that tangent please continue no yet I mean that leads perfectly into the biggest indoctrination center of all time, which is the mission, right? So when I turned 19 years old, I went on a mission um, and you, you apply for a mission, uh, you fill out some paperwork and then the, the top leadership supposedly of the church calls you to a specific location. So I received my mission call. I remember being very excited about it. I got called by God <laughs> to serve in uh, Ukraine. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. I spent two years in Ukraine. Um, obviously there's a lot to, to say about the situation now that <laughs> that's a whole other, uh, topic. Um, but I spent two years there and that was, uh, I was there from 2008 to 2010. Um, and I was mostly in the Western part of Ukraine. Um, but I, you know, it was great for me. I learned, I learned Ukrainian. Um, I learned Russian because I had to learn both, um, wow. to be able to, to <laughs> survive there and talk to people there. Um, and I annoyed the hell out of people for two years knocking on their doors and trying to tell them about the Book of Mormon and <laughs> this American religion that they need. When you train for your mission, will you explain to people where you go first? Yeah, because that is really, you know, the indoctrination part of the mission. There's there's really two big things. Number one is you start out your mission at the Missionary Training Center, which is in Provo, Utah. It's like every missionary has to go there for a certain number of weeks. It depends on, and now with the pandemic, it's probably been different. I know some missionaries are doing it at home and stuff like that, but, um, but be, you know, before the pandemic, back in my day, it was like, you go to the MTC, you're there with thousands of other missionaries going to all different locations in the world. And you're in a classroom eight to 10 hours a day, learning the language. Or if you're going in your own native language, then maybe you're only there for two weeks. I was actually there for three months. So I was there for 12 weeks, Whoa. which is like the longest <laughs> any missionaries ever stayed there. I think, I hope. Um, and it really is, you have no phone, you get to email once a week, uh, home to your family, but it's highly monitored and there's a lot of firewalls and stuff. So it's a very controlled environment. Um, you're in class, like I said, all day, and you really don't have time for much else besides learning, uh, the gospel and learning the language. So do you feel like you actually did learn quite a bit more about Mormonism than you had previously, or was it like, yeah, yeah, I already know this. I already know the first vision. I already know this Bible story or Book of Mormon story. Um, so do you feel like you actually learned something in the MTC as far as gospel doctrine goes? Yes, 
Um, I, I very much learned the whitewash official history very well, okay. right? So all of the stuff that they don't want you to know, well, you're never going to know it because you don't have the internet anyway. So um, there's a lot of details that I just didn't know at all. Um, even before going on a mission, I don't think I knew that Joseph Smith was a polygamist, for example, which is kind of crazy to not know that yeah. before you go out representing the church, right? Because then people are saying it to me, I'm like, no, that's a lie, <laughs> you know? Um, but I, so that was, that was, that's all historical stuff. I would say the doctrinal stuff, yes, I did learn, but it was very much like the correlated material that the church puts in its manuals, right? There's a specific manual for missionaries called Preach My Gospel. You learn very well what's in that and nothing else. So you went on a mission, you learned the languages, you did all the things, and then you came home and then what? College next? Yeah, so I went to BYU, Brigham Young University, um, mm -hmm. named after a charming fellow. And I, uh, so right, right when I got home in 2010, I went straight back to school. I didn't even stay at home at all. I said hi to my parents. I went straight to school. And um, actually while I was at, back at BYU. Apparently, I didn't get enough of the MTC while I was there for three months. I went back to teach at the MTC. So you did not. Yeah. So it's a it's kind of a coveted job on BYU campus because it pays pretty well compared to other campus jobs. And, you know, I get to teach Ukrainian to a bunch of missionaries that are going out. Right. So now I'm wow. the teacher and I get to go back and teach the language. And so that's what I did for two or three years after my mission. So. Wow. I didn't realize that was considered a campus job. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a B, it's officially you're an employee of BYU. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Wow. The more you know. Um, I'm curious as to the perspective shift, if at all, when you went back as a teacher, were you kind of like, oh yeah, I already know all this stuff. Like you little minions, poor souls, don't know anything, or like, did your perspective shift now that you've been in the mission field and people are coming up to you saying like Joseph Smith was a polygamist and you're like, no, he wasn't. Did you did you feel like Okay, my question's all over the place. Did you gain any real insider answers on your mission that you kind of wanted to employ onto these youngsters in the MTC? Or were you still like 100% tunnel vision at this point? I would say that in the, even though I did, I think I learned on my mission that Joseph Smith really did practice polygamy, but the answers I got are very minimal. Like I, I didn't understand any of that history that the church doesn't really talk that much about and i would say even goes to lengths to hide a lot of that his you know historical information mm -hmm. um because you have your, your access to information is so tightly controlled you do not have access to the internet i mean obviously you could if you wanted to but the the obedience is just drilled into you um and you go to use the internet once a week back in my day it might be different now but you could email home to your family once a week um no talking on the phone you know, no Skype, no Zoom. It was just, at that time, it was just once a week you could email. And you were not supposed to use the internet other than that. We had a phone, but um, that was in 2008, and it, it wasn't even a smartphone. We didn't even have smartphones at the time. Now, I think missionaries do have smartphones, but they have very tight controls on them. So they have firewalls and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I think I listened to an episode on John DeLynn with the return missionary and he was talking about like the black market of Google Drives because they can still access Google Drives and there would there was like this unnamed hero missionary that put up a Google Drive with a whole bunch of like movies some were just pedestrian like animated movies and other were R-rated movies and so they're like do you have the password to the Google? like it was a big thing like <laughs> 
black market of Google Drives. Anyway. We would have called them apostates. These are apostate missionaries, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I, I spent a good deal of time teaching at the MTC. I got married, um, you know, while I was teaching at the MTC and going to school. And then I graduated from BYU in 2014. Um, my wife and I had kids later. Um, but yeah, we, we, you know, we did it all. We got married in the temple, the whole shebang. So, so you did the whole temple marriage thing, like a hundred percent all in. And you had already gone through the temple because you were a missionary and you have to do that. You have to get endowed, right? Which is such a funny word, by the way. Anyway, <laughs> you have to get endowed before you go. And so I'm wondering though, what you thought about the actual temple ceremony? Were you like, this is super weird? Or at this point where you're like, yeah, this checks out based on my previous experience. Yeah. Mormons plug your ears. Um, so the endowment ceremony is very different than any other part of the church. Like the church, when you go on Sunday to sacrament meeting, it's a pretty, it's super boring, but it's like a, not weird. It's just like people get up and they give talks and they're talking about charity, having charity, or they're talking about being honest or, you know, lots of different topics that, that they're discussing in their talks. The temple is totally different because it's instead of sermons or anything like that, it's a presentation and it used to be a live action presentation. Now it's a video. And now I've heard since it was a video, they've even changed it a little bit to be like a, more like a slideshow, but the really? video was it's, it depicts the story of the garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. And you go through this whole process of, of really uh, learning Masonic handshakes spoiler alert it's all masonry <laughs> basically freemasonry so if you look up freemasonry you'll pretty much know like what it is or you, i mean i'm sure the endowment is on the internet too but um so for me it was very strange i thought it was really weird um because there's just a lot of things that had had no relation to anything else that we do in the church outside the temple um it was very uh ritualistic experience and so i don't necessarily think that it's you know, we don't sacrifice goats, nothing, we nothing crazy like that, but it's very much focused around ritual. Um, and it, which is different from the rest of the church. Yeah. So I've never been, but I've seen videos and I've read some things and heard other people's experiences that when they come out, they're like, what religion am I in? Because I definitely don't think it was that one. <laughs> like, It's really confusing. There's, there's chanting, like you said, secret handshakes. Um, you have to like move your clothing every now and then, like change your sash and do like the outfits are super, uh, I'm just going to say funny. They're very funny. Uh, the first time I experienced it or the only time is my sister was getting, my half sister was getting sealed to our family. So they let me, so nice of them. They let me come in and watch as a child. I was probably like 13 or something. And I walked in and I saw everyone sitting there and they're like baker's hats and their weird sashes. And I'm all, in the world is this like this is some weird <laughs> what is happening so I can only imagine on your wedding day you I mean as a woman like what well, that's all that we think about is girls like usually is oh my wedding day is gonna be so beautiful I'm gonna pick this amazing dress and then we go in they don't even let you wear your own wedding dress like you have to wear this weird like Amish looking long sleeve all the way to the floor dress you know guys have to wear the baker hat and the whole thing you know for their their wedding ceremony yeah so what was that like the actual verbiage as far as the getting married part yeah so the ceiling 
um, is what they call the marriage. So that's its own ordinance. And the sealing is, um, yeah, it, 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 you don't say I do at all. So you, you have to say yes. <laughs> so instead of, they like pose to you a question like, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? But when it phrases it for the woman, it says, do you give yourself to your husband? And so to me, that was always weird. And I will say this about the endowment as well. So those are you know separate, separate ordinances, the, the marriage ceremony, but then also the endowment. The sexism struck me even the first time I went because mm. there's a point in the endowment where God – you're making a covenant directly with God and you're supposed to be you know, God or God's representative is looking at you and saying, okay, men, make this covenant with God. You, you do the thing. <laughs> You make the covenant, and then he looks at the women on the other side of the room. Men and women are separated in the endowment, and he looks at the women on the other side of the room, and instead of making the covenant directly with God, the women – this is the way it used to be. I think it's still the same, where they said they had to say that they hearkened to the counsel of their husband. So as he hearkens to the counsel of God. So instead of covenanting directly with God, they're covenanting to follow their husband as he follows God. So to me, even the first time I went, that – just slapped me in the face and then and i remembered thinking like this is weird um and at the end there's a there's a part of the ceremony that's one of the most sacred parts or you know <laughs> kind of the climax of the ceremony and women have to veil their faces um with an actual veil like a wedding veil kind of symbolizing like they can't be directly in the presence of god they have to veil their faces first and to me that was just so blatantly sexist yeah and i've i've heard women talk about that where they're like, hold up, I thought that I could have my own relationship with God. And no, it's you hearken to your husband, which can lead lead to a lot of damaging relationship issues. So I'm wondering, I mean, I know you're not a narcissistic crazy person, but at the time, with you fully believing in Mormonism and going like, okay, this is my job, even though it was a little bit of a red flag, do you feel like that influenced your marriage and the way that you treated your wife it's okay you can you can tell us because we know you're not like this anymore <laughs> even at the time i thought it was i thought it was weird and my wife is also um better at a lot of uh organizational things than i am like she's she handles the money and she does a lot of that stuff and so it's like in a lot of ways i felt weird think like i felt like if anyone should probably kind of you know be the one that's in charge maybe it should be her and like but in some ways i felt like oh i need to take charge because that's what the church teaches us right so i have to be the one to initiate family prayer and scripture study and those are the th like those are things that because i'm a priesthood holder and i'm the man i have to do right and so the the religion is very much a patriarchal religion and so yeah it was always kind of a clash for me where i'm like my wife's probably more qualified better at that stuff <laughs> I should be the one doing it so yeah there's always a tension for me so would you say then that was your first shelf item or red flag moment that kind of started to slowly lead you off of this path of Mormonism no I think I think in high school I read statements by <laughs> this is where true moment quotes really started I read statements by some of the church leaders like Bruce R. McConkie about how um, black people had been less valiant in the pre-existence and that's why they weren't allowed to have the priesthood or visit the temple at the you know before 1978 and so some of those um 
false doctrines, I guess you could call them, or things that had been, they used to be doctrine in Mormonism. Um, I think those were on my shelf already. And, and there were other things too, you know, how the book of Abraham came about, um, but definitely the temple. There were a couple of things in the temple ceremony, you know, sexism and a couple other things that I remember being on my shelf for sure. Yeah. Those are usually the main things that people talk about is like the priesthood ban uh, for people of color and the like the first vision, the book of Abraham type of thing. So what was it then that made you officially be like, okay, I'm, I'm out. I'm out. I'm done with this. Yeah. I think it's everybody likes to say, likes to point to these specific issues, right? And be like, well, it was because I was so rational. And I deconstructed the book of Abraham and I realized that it was fake, right? Or forgery. And that, it's not untrue. That's definitely a part of my journey. But I think that all of us make emotional decisions and then later we rationalize those decisions. And so I think for me, being super unfulfilled spiritually by church was probably the biggest thing that pushed me, you know, and this is me thinking about it, analyzing it later. Like, it's hard to say what exactly was it, but I just remember going to church and getting nothing out of it. It was a spiritual wasteland for me. I, I had no, um, I wasn't uplifted by church. I didn't get anything valuable out of it. It didn't make me a better person. And I think that when that's happening for a long time, it opens the door for you to start asking questions and thinking like, why do we do this? And what is the point, you know? Yeah, and I think it takes a lot to get to that point, especially when you're indoctrinated from birth and you just accept it as your reality. But I think that's so true. I, I had a similar experience where one day I was just like, what is going on? Like, we're not talking about Jesus. <laughs> we're not talking about how to become better people. The only thing that they're preaching up there is how to be a more valiant servant of not even God, but usually Mormonism like how to serve the church better and how to follow the rules more and how to become more worthy and more perfect. And it was just, it's really toxic. And like you said, it's not uplifting at all, especially if all of it's just like shrouded in this shame blanket where it's like, if you don't do all of these things, then you should be ashamed and you need to pray more. So, and I'm really glad that you brought up the emotional thing. I've never really considered that in that perspective, but yeah, I think it also gives a lot of true believing Mormons reason to discredit people who have left because they'll say, oh, well, they just left because they were offended by a bishop, which I was deeply offended by a bishop, but that's not why I left. <laughs> it was, it definitely gave me the emotional response that was so visceral that caused me to be like, is this the true church? But that is what kind of slowly led me away to be like, I'm going to do my research and then make a decision from a logical perspective. But you're right. I think it does come from that emotional break first. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I also remember that 2015, that was really where it kind of came apart for me. Tell us what that was. Part of it was the the decision that the church made to make gay marriage, this, this thing where if you get married to you know, if you enter into a gay marriage, now you are eligible to be excommunicated from the church for apostasy. And that decision was just so wrong in so many ways because they did they did that. That was part one. Part two of that was your kids, any kids you have living at home with you or, you know, partly as a primary residence, 
could not be baptized into the church or blessed as a baby or partake in any of those, which is basically shunning, you know, those kids. And so that, that decision in 2015 really was like an eye opener for me. I think it was one of the last straws that I just went, there's no way that's right. Because part of that, I mean, just thinking about that, that policy, they didn't call it a doctrine. They call it a policy. Uh, actually, President Nelson called it a doctrine in a talk, but right. <laughs> um, they said, well, this is a, this is a policy thing. And they, um, they made it so that when you, you, if you get gay married, that's the problem. You can be promiscuous. You can go have sex with lots of other people. You can be gay and be promiscuous. You can be straight and be promiscuous. But the moment you get gay married, that's where you're up for apostasy. And that's where you can get excommunicated. And you're, and now your kids can't get baptized, right? It's like obvious that this is wrong. And guess what? They figured it out in 2019 and they reversed it. They just changed their minds. They're like, yeah, God changed his mind. And I mean, how anyone can think that that's from God is just beyond me, you know? I think where they draw the line is so confusing and messed up. Like, like you were just saying, well, you can be promiscuous and maybe even live together and it won't count. But the second you're married, like that's where you draw the line. And the same thing with the poor children who probably are very happy with their two gay parents. Um, they tend to be great parents. Um, but then they're like, okay, well, yeah, you can get baptized, but only when you're 18, when you can fully comprehend the decision that you're making. And I'm thinking, but you let regular kids, right, with regular, quote, parents get baptized at eight years old and somehow they know what's going on. But if something sketchy is going on in the home, according to Mormonism, then they're just not in the right frame of mind okay guys it's just like the mental gymnastics and how did they come up with this which board member was sitting around a table going you know what i don't really like that we're accepting these gay people maybe we should switch things up a bit in 2015 this is not like an old policy gay marriage has been legalized at this point which they fought hard against put millions of dollars towards making that not legal in california right prop 8 <clears throat> Yet, here we are, like in 2015, going backwards. And why are we going backwards? Because the leaders of our church are all like 90 years old and 30 years behind the times. You nailed it. I mean, when you have a gerontocracy and the majority of your top leadership is 80 plus, what do you expect? <laughs> You're going to be 30 years behind. Yeah. And, and the thing is, though, it's not even just like... They call it a policy, which you said initially it was a doctrine. It was a doctrine until they reversed it, and then it was a policy because they weren't willing to say that God was wrong. But initially it was a revelation, right? God said. And then I'm thinking like, okay, so God wanted to ostracize these children? Let's let's talk about the real victims here. It's the kids. I feel like the adults, the parents who are in the gay marriage I feel like they have a pretty good head on their shoulders to be like, well, this is bullshit, right? But when you talk about a child and not only do they have to wait until they're 18 to get baptized, they have to disavow their parents and their lifestyle. Why would you do that to a child? They're purposely separating the families. So these children are the victims of this, quote, doctrine slash policy. And the suicide rate, the youth suicide rate in Utah went up by like, three, four times. I wish I had the exact stat, but it was staggering 
the amount of youth suicides that happened during that time. And that's why they're like, oh, I think we made a bad PR decision. Let's reverse this thing. Yeah. I mean, and that's all of, you know, John DeLynn is more responsible for revelation in the church today than the prophet Russell M. Nelson. I mean, yeah, every everything that they decide to make a change about, it's because people, it, it got out and people went, yeah, you know what? That's a problem. And it goes from the bottom up. It's not revelation coming from God. It's grassroots people saying, hey, this is a problem in this church and we're part of this church and we want it to be different. And the, it takes the apostles decades sometimes to hear it. But eventually they hear it enough Mm -hmm. and they make the change. And then they say it came from God. Yeah. Well, it'll be someone standing up like a John DeLynn or whoever, Christine Falconer. Did I say her name right? Um, To say, no, this thing is wrong. And then they'll say you're excommunicated. And then conveniently, a few months later, they'll change the policy. It's like, okay, where is this really coming from here? (laughs) Who are the prophets? You know, we have prophets that don't prophesy we have seers that don't see anything we have revelators that reveal nothing you know john delin is is the prophet and sam young is a prophet you know those guys are the prophets and they're excommunicating the prophets the real prophets yeah so clearly i'm fired up about this policy so let's get back to you though (laughs) so so you're fired up about this uh you call it an emotional break where you're going this is not right this is not okay i'm not willing to follow a church who believes this or puts their members through such hell. I mean, I'm putting words into your mouth, but this is what I'm assuming. So where do you go from there? Yeah. And and I think it's hard because as a member of the church, you've always been taught that, well, when, when you leave the church, you can't leave it alone. People go and, and they start bashing the church and they start being angry at the church. They start an Instagram account called True Mormon Quotes where they, <laughs> you know, <laughs> where they literally just post quotes from your prophets. And apparently now that's anti-Mormon. So <laughs> um, because, yeah, because the quotes are not good. Uh, it's not a good look. But and so you, I felt like I don't I don't want to go there. But when the prophets, you know, at the same time, when the prophets claim to speak for God. If you're claiming that you speak for God, you are the mouthpiece of God on the earth, which is what they claim specifically. Mm-hmm. That's their claim to fame, actually. <laughs> it's, it's all I got, really. And yeah. when you claim that, you deserve to be held accountable for what you say in God's name. And I think that that if I had to define it, um, you know, reinventing my own doctrine, I would say taking God's name in vain is when you use God's likeness and image and you say things in God's name that are false and harmful and damaging to people. Yeah. Use it to push your own agenda. That is taking God's name in vain. So I, I think for me, it was like just seeing the hypocrisy for what it was. I felt like, you know what? I do want to say something. I don't care if five people follow me on Instagram or, you know, a thousand people. I really don't care. Like, I just want to, I just want to be someone who's making an effort to hold these guys accountable for what they say in God's name. And so I just started, I was terrible at the graphics. They're, the early ones are terrible. You can go look at my account. <laughs> um, the, the quotes are bad. The graphics are bad. I don't know. I'm, I'm embarrassed. Um, the, but as time went on, I, you know, I, I've gotten better at it. I'm still not, I'm no graphic designer. I'm no graphic artist in any way, but um, I basically just take quotes, real quotes from, you know, books that I've read or, 
um, from general conference uh, from the leaders that they do every, you know twice a year. Um, and I just I just take them and I post them and I put the source where I got it. Um, and it's always official church material. So I'm, I never post anything that's not, or if I do, it's very rare. Um, so I just post the quote, the source, and then my commentary will be down in the, in the comments, right? So, or in the caption. Um, so I, I try to keep that picture, just the quote, and it speaks for itself. It sure does. But <laughs> you have people uh, who are, are believing members they come to your page and do not agree with your quotes and they think you're posting ex-Mormon content, which I find pretty funny. But I also understand because when I was a believing Mormon, if someone said something that made the church look bad in any way, I was like, that's ex-Mormon. Like, that's just, you know, that's not, that's not of our church. <laughs> that's, that's Satan doing his thing. So I get it because you get so wrapped up in the church monopolizing your emotions so anytime you feel good that's the spirit telling you it's true anytime you feel bad that's satan telling you that something is wrong and you need to run the opposite direction and all of these quotes well i'll say 95 percent, maybe 97 percent, because some of them are funny 97 percent of them make you feel really bad because like i mentioned before if you were to read that with and put it in front of like Warren Jeffs, who is the leader of the fundamentalist group of Mormons or any other cult leader, he would be like, this guy is crazy. And who would ever follow a religion with that type of leader? But when you apply it to your own, the cognitive dissonance is so real. You just can't comprehend that that's the, the church leader that you're following and you just disregard it. Is, am, is that right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I have people come to my page and so Mormons will come and, and the, the most disturbing is when they agree with the quotes. They're just like, yeah, I see no problem here. <laughs> Yikes, Brian. Like the Desnat people and stuff that are just like, well, yeah, I mean, this is the way it is. Right. <laughs> so that's the worst. But then there will be exactly what you're saying. Like there will be people that say, well, you're taking it out of context. That's what I get the most often. Um, you're taking it out of context. And I say, look, I, I got the source here, so you can go look up the context. I promise you it doesn't make it better. <laughs> what do you want me to do? Quote the whole talk? Like, with the whole book? Yeah. How much context is enough context? You know, to them, it's like, if it looks bad, let's just say it's out of context. Um, the other thing they complain about is that I use faithful hashtags. Um, and and also that I use the word Mormon. <laughs> so they, they get frustrated with those things. But a lot of times, you're right. They do come and they say, you know, if I were to, if I were to make that quote and put, you know, Charles Taze Russell, the founder of the J-Dubs, as the face on that quote, they would say, wow, I mean, the J-Dubs are messed up. I would never follow that guy. But that, and then I say, just kidding. It's a quote from Joseph Smith, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> the, they would totally be like, oh, well, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden it would be like, now I have to defend it. And that's just the way we are as humans, right? We do that with our po uh, political views. We do that with our religious views. Confirmation bias helps us seek out evidence that supports and reinforces the views that we already hold and motivated reasoning. You know, when, when we hear something we don't like, we have to, we have to somehow defend these beliefs against it and go through some mental gymnastics to justify why it's still true, even though all these other things are wrong. Like, no, everybody else is wrong and the church is right. Scientists are wrong. Archaeologists are wrong about the Book of Mormon. I mean, everybody's wrong <laughs> except for the church and the prophets. Okay, fine. You know, if that's the way that you want, if that's what you think, then that's fine. But everybody else has to be wrong in order for the Mormon prophets to be right. I like that you mentioned we all do this, right? Even if it's like a political belief. 
Um, I'm wondering, in your opinion, do you think that being Mormon specifically, or I guess any cult, just really amplifies that cognitive dissonance and makes you completely reject reality in place of beliefs? I, I actually think that all humans do it to a pretty strong degree. Um, they just don't always recognize it. What I think religion does a little bit differently is just has a really clear authority structure. Like, mm. you know that if the top guy says something, you have to justify and explain that and defend it. And you feel like you have to. Like, I have to defend whatever President Nelson says because he's the prophet, you know? Yeah, I agree. I think that's one of the main things where when people come to me and they're like, oh, yeah, you just traded one cult for another, meaning Mormonism for spirituality or mysticism or whatever. I'm like... I guess you could see it that way, and there are certainly cults within mysticism and mystical groups. However, there is no leader that is guiding me. I'm guiding me. I use my own intuition. I make my own decisions. There's no one telling me what I can and cannot wear, how I can um, conduct my life, who I can and can't have sex with, if I can have sex with myself, <laughs> right? So there is no one governing body that is benefiting from me believing a certain way. And so... Yeah, I think that that's, that's a really good point as far as the cognitive dissonance is they have a direct leader that they can funnel all of their decisions towards. And if that leader says something in contrary to what their intuition says, it doesn't matter because you have to follow that leader no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are, you know, there are other groups that are cult-like in that way that have authority structures and the same thing happens, but it's just really a common feature of religion for sure. Yeah. So what are some of your favorite DMs that you've gotten? Because I know that you I know you get feisty like me. It's kind of fun to like use logic to break down their argument. But <laughs> what are some of your favorites? Yeah, you know, like, you know, I enjoy talking to people in the comments. So I'm sure you've seen me going back and forth with people in the comments and mm -hmm. always like now I try to I try to see their perspective and ask them questions that comes from that perspective. And Obviously, I want them to see my perspective, too, but, like, I really want to ask them questions about what they think to try to – just to try to help them think about it. Like, you know, kind of like street epistemology type questions. But, um, yeah, a lot of DMs – I mean, oh, man, I've had people um, – I, I get a lot of people that just just want some support. Like, they have um, – they're new to their faith crisis. Oh, wow. You know, they just discovered a lot of this stuff, and they're just – need someone to say, Hey, it's going to be okay. You're going to make it through this. And it's hard. Um, but reminder, don't study this stuff 24 seven, like set a period of time that you're going to you know, look at Mormonism and then just like leave it alone for a while because you need, you got to pace yourself. Um, and yeah, other DMS from, you know, from Mormons just saying you took this quote out of context. Um, you know, that's not really what they meant by it. Here's what they really meant by it. And now they're, <laughs> they're telling me, I'm like, okay, well, I just read the source. Let's, let's go read it together. You know, um, those are, I would say the most common DMS I get or stuff like that. Yeah. I think you're a really good person to have this page because you don't come off as an angry ex-Mormon. You just legitimately want to shed some light on some of the problems in the church. And so you can have these intellectual conversations with people who are legitimately fighting back with you, but then you can also be very open-hearted and open-minded and like, hey, let me help you find this information. Like, maybe you should look into this. Like you said, the people who are questioning the religion and having a faith crisis. So I appreciate the work that you're doing is what I'm trying to say, Brian. 
Thank you. I think the vast majority of the time we come to a mutual respect with people that I'm talking to in the comments or in the DMs. And you can't have a productive conversation until you respect each other. And you, you can't get to that until you are willing to hear them out and respond to what they're actually saying. If you start responding before you've even read their whole comment, you just, you're not, you're not trying to understand them, you know, and you have to do that to be able to have a productive conversation. Yeah. And it's tricky because I've already, I've posted maybe like six videos on my TikTok and already I'm getting some Mormons in there like yelling at me for it. <laughs> like, I'm literally, I'm not even saying anything bad about the church. I'm just like talking about how traumatized I was in a bishop's interview and somehow I'm wrong. And I find it interesting that the true believing Mormons tend to be the meanest when they come at you with certain things. And I'm always like, thanks for being Christ-like, but like, I don't really know what to say. And maybe, I don't know, do you think this is also part of the cognitive dissonance where they feel like they have to defend to the death? Doesn't matter what they say or who they hurt, they have to try and defend their beliefs and and cut down the followers of Satan. Yeah, I mean, first of all, facts are useless, right? Facts just bounce off the armor of God. Yeah. It just, they're just brushing them off. Um, Facts mean nothing. Right. And, uh, you know, there's there's the saying that says nobody nobody cares how much, you know, until they know how much you care. And that's totally true. Like you have to get to that point where you show them, hey, no, I'm seriously trying to have a conversation with you. Um, and, and even then, sometimes it's hopeless. Right. It's a lost cause. Um, they're they're still not going to listen to what you have to say. But like I feel like their defensiveness is rooted in the fact that you're a, they perceive you as attacking something that's core to their identity. And as long as they perceive that as being part of them, like this church is part of me and you're attacking it. Therefore, you're personally attacking me. And I try to help them see like, hey, dude, we're cool. Like you and me could sit down and have a coffee together and we could be totally chill Um, and we could have a good conversation. I want to I'm taking issue with specifically this idea. Let's talk about this. And if you can isolate the idea from the person and, and communicate that to them and say like, I don't want to, I'm not attacking you. Let's talk about this because this is why I feel like it's a problem or I think it's a problem. Why do you think it's not a problem? And if you can get to that point, they're way more likely to trust you and, and have a productive conversation. And so that's what I try to do in the DMs and in the comments too. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant, Brian. So I'm sure people by now are like, what are these quotes that are getting people so fired up, guys? We're about to lay some on you right now. <laughs> so so I asked Brian to bring a couple. I brought a couple. And when I say a couple, I just kept screenshotting. There were so many. And I think I've narrowed it down to like five. So um, yeah, let's go. You start. Okay. So this is one that I feel like this was a huge shelf item for me. Maybe one of the first things that really just destroyed my faith. Um, in profits, because this is from this is, is, is old. This is from 1947. Um, but the entire first presidency signed this letter together where they were writing to a member of the church in answer to his questions. And they said, from the days of the prophet Joseph Smith, even until now, it has been the doctrine of the church, never questioned by any of the church leaders, that the Negroes are not entitled to the full blessings of the gospel. And just to have to say that God said that. And to truly believe that God said that, and it's indisputable because the top three leaders of the church who constitute the first presidency or the the top governing body of the church all signed off on that and said, yes, this is the doctrine of the church. 
and now if you ask today oh no it was never doctrine that was just a policy you know and i'm sorry but it wasn't it was a doctrine and they believed it was a doctrine and the prophets taught that it was a doctrine Mm -hmm. yeah this is a very problematic one and it goes way back to the origins um a lot of people said that joseph smith was against slavery yet i read somewhere that he sealed a black woman to him for time and all all eternity to be his slave in the afterlife i'm like okay so maybe he didn't have a slave in this life but he planned on having them for time and all eternity and it's just really problematic and that's the that's the crazy thing is people say well you know the leaders make mistakes he was the original leader like this this is joseph smith's church and then Brigham Young's church, who had even crazier things to say about people of color. And, oh, it's so frustrating. And and I think one of the things, too, is one of the apologetic reviews is, oh, well, it was the times. Like, the so- society wouldn't have had... Society wouldn't have been okay with people getting the priesthood who were black because it was just the times. I'm like in the 70s like you you just showed that we had someone in 1949 writing a letter to the head of the church going hey i have a problem with this so it's not about the times guys and even then it's like well what do the times matter to god like if you're speaking for god right okay so what's the point of having a prophet if you can't see the future or be ahead of the curve right 100 percent 100 percent and as we mentioned before the mormon church is just 30 years behind i mean that's wait that's like literally exactly how long it took for them to to reverse that right 49 yeah man okay anything else to say about that one no let's go to the next one this is from spencer kimball he was a prophet right (laughs) yeah the head honcho okay this is from the book Miracle of Forgiveness. Oh, lovely. More on that later. Okay. Thus, prophets anciently and today condemn masturbation. What? Our modern prophet has indicated that no young man... Notice, women aren't involved in this. They can't even... Yeah, they don't even know. (laughs) Yeah, I'll get on that tangent in a second. No young man should be called on a mission who is not free from this practice. What is more, it often leads to grievous sin, even to that sin against nature homosexuality there's so much to unpack here brian okay i'm just gonna like reel off a few thoughts and then i want to get your opinion too so first of all (laughs) which prophets anciently said masturbation was wrong i'm honestly curious okay that's the first thing second thing (laughs) has indicated that no young man should be called on a mission okay we're completely taking away women from this assuming that women don't want sex or don't have a sex drive this is like TMI right here. I don't think I even knew women could masturbate until I was like a senior in high school. I was like, that's a thing. Like, <laughs> I didn't even realize it because I was so sheltered in this bubble. And anyway, that's a whole story for another day. And then the banger here at the end. If He's saying if you masturbate too much or at all, you might turn gay. What? Where did that even come from? Like, are there studies to prove this? Hmm, yeah, I doubt it. (laughs) Maybe, maybe he had some repressed feelings and maybe that's, you know, he was like, 
well, that's what I did when I was a teenager and look what happened to me. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> that is the best theory I think I've ever heard because this book is so problematic and we're going to get to another quote from it. Um, <clears throat> Miracle of Forgiveness. I was given this book at one point in my childhood when something horrible happened in my life and they're like, read this. And I'm like, mm, I'll pass. And I'm so glad that I did because so many people are traumatized from this book. They're trying to get it pulled from the shelves. Thanks again, John Dillon. got it pulled from uh, Deseret Book. Yeah, John Dillon. John Dillon got it pulled. Yeah, it's awful. Okay, should we move on? Yeah, in fact, uh, I'll just say what I call miracle forgiveness. Uh, I actually said this in church one time in a meeting. Um, I said, the miracle of forgiveness should have a subtitle that says, how God could forgive you, but almost certainly won't. gosh that's so true and I just realized I was like I'm gonna say my thoughts and then get your opinions and I was like let's move on so did you have any <laughs> opinions about this quote yeah you, you hit all the big points it's like okay. masturbation turns you gay wow okay this one's from this one's from Marion Romney he was an apostle I believe at the time and he uh this is some advice that he gave his son before sending him on a mission so he says my son when you are released from your mission and return we shall be glad to greet you and welcome you back into the family circle but remember this, we would rather come to this station and take your body off the train in a casket than to have you come home unclean, having lost your virtue. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack with this one, too. Virtue is a code word for sexual purity, virginity, whatever, like whatever you want to say. They cannot say those words because it's too taboo. Like, and they're just, they don't, they don't like to talk about sex, so they tiptoe around it with euphemisms. They say virtue. They say immorality. Chastity. Yeah, chastity. They'll say all these words, but they they will they very rarely even say masturbation. Like Spencer W. Kimball was pretty obsessed with the subject, so he apparently said the word. But like most of the other ones won't. And they just will use other euphemisms to talk about it, which is a problem in and of itself because kids are confused. They're like, "What are you even saying right now?" You know, virtue like virtue is has a lot of meanings. You can be a virtuous knight in medieval times. You know, it's like, <laughs> and just the idea that you would communicate that to your own kid that like I would rather see you dead, then lose your virginity. That's the message that the church has been giving. And even though it's not explicitly taught today, the leaders of the church today were alive when all these guys were alive. These guys were their bosses and colleagues and friends. And these are the quotes that stick with them. And they remember what was taught back then. And they still perceive it as being true. I can almost guarantee it. I think it's just so awful to put these children, literally kids, in this position. Because when you're talking about missionaries, you're talking about between 18 and 21 or 22, when they're at the height of their sexual sexual curiosity or exploration, which is healthy and normal and is a, a healthy thing to do. I, I don't even know what else to say. Like, you should do it. <laughs> you should do it. So to say that to these kids, to say, I would rather you come back dead than have committed a sexual sin is atrocious. And I mean, a few of the rules that they put in place, right, for Mormon mission missionaries is you, what you can't even hug anyone. It's handshakes only. Can't hug the opposite sex. <laughs> so. <laughs> Wait, so you can hug if you're a guy, you can hug another guy. Oh, yeah. Okay, so they're totally negating the fact that some members might be gay. Gay missionaries are in luck. Yeah, they can hug all the guys they want. Oh, no. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
what are some of the the other rules to prevent this from happening yeah unfortunately for the gay missionaries the white handbook does say that you have to sleep in the same room but not in the same bed oh yeah got to keep your hair short um there's a lot of stuff in the white handbook that's very specific like no extreme sports stuff that you would think of like to mitigate the church's liability if you were to get injured um you can't swim no swimming and no swimming Maybe right. it's because Satan rules the water, or maybe it's because they don't want you to drown. I'm not really sure. It's not clear. I mean, I was always told that it's because Satan rules the water. In the Doctrine and Covenants, so yeah. Wait, it does say that? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, so then it was a thing. It is a thing. Because I remember as a kid being a little bit nervous about that, because I was like, wait, does it only apply to missionaries, or can I drown in the water because of Satan? And I was like always terrified there was someone under there who was going to grab my feet. <laughs> Satan's just waiting there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Did we did we talk about that one fully? Yeah, that, that's all I had for that quote. So this is also Spencer Kimball from Miracle of Forgiveness. Also, far-reaching is the effect of loss of chastity. There's that, you know, workaround word. Once given or taken or stolen, it can never be regained. Even in a forced contact, such as rape or incest, the injured one is greatly outraged. If she has not cooperated and contributed to the foul deed, she is, of course, in a more favorable position. Wow. Is that a favorable position to you? There is no condemnation where there is no voluntary participation. It is better to die in defending one's virtue than to live having lost it without a struggle. I wonder if the guy that you just read read this and was like, ah, that's what I'm going to say to my son going on a mission. They were, they were contemporaries. So, yeah, I mean, or, you know, in, he said this, Marion G. Romney said that in 81. So that was after Spencer W. Kimball. So I'm sure he influenced him. Yeah. Yeah. Th this is so problematic. I think I'm going to use the word problematic like every five seconds because I don't even, what's another word I can use? Disturbing. This is deeply disturbing because not only is he saying if um, it's better to die than to have sex before you're married and then also side note once you're married multiply and replenish the earth and make as many babies as you can okay i'm just gonna unwind that mindset with a snap of a finger but he's saying that if you don't fight back when you're raped doesn't matter the situation he even includes incest it is better for you to die than to allow someone to take away your virtue the, oh my gosh, I'm just, my blood is boiling. Because does he even have any comprehension of the reaction to, or a trauma response, right? You have fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Not everyone is capable of fighting their way out of a situation. So if I'm a woman who, or child, or man, or whoever, and is raped against my will, if I don't have the capability of fighting back and I read something like this, I might want to kill myself. I might be suicidal and say I should have died because I didn't fight back and now I'm going to be punished by God. I just oh. it, this is this is the problem with having these guys who think that they speak for God and they're in charge of all of these things that they have no expertise in. They're not psychologists, they're not psychiatrists, they're mm -hmm. not trained therapists. They have no idea what they're doing. And the local leadership is like dentists and orthodontists and auto mechanics and just lay people and they're the ones on the front lines that people come and confess to and say this happened to me and they're looking to miracle of forgiveness to answer the question 
they're looking to Spencer W. Kimball. Even now, my brother went on a mission of less than five years ago. He was given a copy of Miracle of Forgiveness before he left. Really? They're handing these out to missionaries? Yeah. And like, not because he had any, not because he, you know, had any reason to be forgiven or forgive. Here's a book to read before your mission. Like you need to understand these things before you go out. And it's like, what, what part of that is helpful? You know, and there is a story in there about how Bigfoot is Kane. So maybe that was helpful. I don't know. But <laughs> really? Yeah. In that book, <laughs> you go find it. It says that Bigfoot does exist and he's Kane from the old Testament. So there you have it. Perfect. I think also one other point to button this up is so you have someone who is taken advantage of, raped, sexually assaulted, whatever the case. Now they feel guilty, like it's their fault. They lost their virtue and their chastity and they have to repent. God help me. They have to repent for being taken advantage of. Yeah. So they then they go into their bishop, and you just laid it out perfectly. These are not trained clergymen. These are not psychologists. These are not anyone who should be dealing with assault uh, victims. And they start asking details and re-traumatizing yeah. these people. And you're forced to go in by yourself. No one can go with I think now they changed it where, like, a parent can come. But, okay, let's double trauma. Like you know what, instead of talking about my sexual sin, I would, I would love my mom to be present for this so she could hear how I went down on someone. Like, Oh my God. Yeah. And, and guess where that change came from, where they said, Hey, actually parents are allowed. It didn't come from the top leaders. It came after a year or two of Sam Young protesting and going on hunger strikes and begging and pleading for a change to happen because of the harmful practice of one-on-one youth interviews. And Sam Young was the Bishop, right? He was, yeah, he was a Bishop. Um, prior to and then he you know realized hey this is a huge problem in our church is that kids are going into these interviews and they're just they're not prepared and they shouldn't be sitting one-on-one behind closed doors with an old guy talking about sexual things and that was his whole crusade you know and so revelation again (laughs) comes from the bottom up yeah and bless him for standing up for these kids like i just commend him for having the awareness in that position in a position of power which usually it doesn't come that direction it's from the ones who are being abused that have to stand up for themselves but for him to recognize oh wow we shouldn't be doing this this is problematic this is not okay and to stand up for that and I think that's another big issue is sometimes you get bishops like Sam Young who don't press for questions or even don't even push the topic at all and then you get bishops who are literally getting off on asking you sexual questions and give me more details did you like it did you orgasm none of that is relevant and it is traumatizing these people no you're absolutely right i mean it's roulette you don't know what you're going to get you know we say bishop roulette because Mm -hmm. one bishop's going to make you wait a year before you go on your mission for who knows what sin and another bishop is going to be like hey you know don't take the sacrament for two weeks it just you never know what you're going to get yeah yeah oh Okay. Let me see if I have any more. Do you have any more? Yeah, I have one more. Okay, you go. So this one's from Dallin Oaks, who is still the in the first presidency. He's the first counselor, so he's he's at the top of the food chain. There's only okay. one guy in front of him that has to die before he can be the prophet. So you're saying there's a chance, Dallin. You're saying there's a chance. <laughs> so he said, um, young women, please understand that if you dress immodestly, 
you are magnifying this problem by becoming pornography to some of the men who see you. He said this in 2005. So he's saying, if you dress immodestly, you are walking porn. <laughs> you know what? Linda, listen. <laughs> I am not walking pornography. Okay? These shoulders, I know they're sexy, but I'm not walking pornography. You're just horny. Boom. Nailed it. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I actually had that quote too. It's like, I when I read that, it blew my mind. And then, shoot, I don't remember who said it, but they were like, maybe it was Gordon. I think it was the Gordon B. Hinckley. I think he was like, women, what are you even thinking wanting to show your bony shoulders and your gross knees? Like, who are you to think that that's attractive? That was Mark Peterson. <laughs> really? So like... On one hand, I'm too sexy with these shoulders. On the other hand, cover that shit up because you're embarrassing and you should exactly. be ashamed. <laughs> okay. Mixed message. Oh my gosh. So I'm going to end with this one, if you don't mind. Are we ready to go there? Yeah, that's perfect. This is from Russell Nelson, current prophet of the church, right? Yep. All right. Sometimes I question myself. I'm like, I'm a little out of the loop. He's still the guy. <laughs> He's still alive. He's the guy. All right, this was in, oh, April 2021. This is a newbie. Your mountains may be loneliness, doubt, illness, or other personal problems. Your mountains will vary, and yet the answer to each of your challenges is to increase your faith. That takes work. Lazy learners and lax disciples will always struggle to muster even a particle of faith. To do anything well requires effort. Becoming a true disciple of Jesus Christ is no exception. I have so much to say about this. I'm just going to launch in if that's okay. First of all, to group in, what is it? Loneliness, doubt, illness, and personal problems into one thing and say that the answer is faith. No. If you're struggling with depression or illness or something of that nature, you need a doctor. You need a psychologist. You need someone that is trained that can actually help you get better. Praying while can feel good and can, you know, provide comfort, is not a replacement for medical help, first and foremost. And then he has the audacity to say that people who have left the church, which we know that's who he's talking about, there's no secret there, people who have left the church are lazy and don't do the work, guys, <laughs> I have... I would say 95% more information about the Mormon church than I ever had as an actual true believing member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because I did the work. I spent hours on the computer searching and Googling and going down rabbit holes. And he said, what? And Freemasonry, who? And like, I learned so much because I was such a devout member, because I wanted to make it work so bad, because I had such a strong testimony and I wanted it to be true. But guess what? It wasn't. <sighs> okay, your turn. <laughs> no, yeah, I was, I mean, I was lazy when I was accepting whatever the church said and just going with that. You know, when the church said, oh, this is the answer to that question or, oh, don't worry about it because of this. You don't need to go do your own research. You know, you don't need to look into that. Because here's the answer. Accepting that answer is lazy. Um, yeah. Going and reading primary source documents, going and reading Rough Stone Rolling or No Man Knows My History or, you know, any of the other 
amazing Mormon history books that are out there, you know, Mike Quinn's series on the Mormon hierarchy and reading those things or any other articles, you know, going down the rabbit hole and doing research is not the late, <laughs> that, that doesn't make you lazy. <laughs> no. And another thing that I don't appreciate is that it, it really forces members into an us versus them mentality. And it forces this superiority complex where they're like, oh, I'm better than those people who left and just wanted to sin because they had a bad experience with the bishop and they're just lazy. And it's really creates a problem and it creates a divide between family and friends, coworkers. I mean, if you live in Utah, you probably have a boss that's Mormon. And and it's it's just so devastating that the church not only demonizes us, but basically asks the members to demonize us as well. And that's not okay. That's not being Christ-like. That's not what Jesus would do, right? Right. No, I agree. It's it's the way that they talk about doubters um, is sad and disgusting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think... There was something said in a general conference, and I, I can't remember the exact quote. Maybe you can go find the true Mormon quote for yeah, me. Yeah, I'll post it. I think it was actually something that they sent out to the church members during the pandemic, and they were like, you're going to notice some sheep are falling away, and these are the ones that aren't valiant. And again, it's just creating this unnecessary divide between people who, okay, some people really don't care about the church, and they're like, yeah, I'm out. I was never in. But to criticize the people who are really going through a faith crisis, yeah. you know, people who during the pandemic had time to do the research and be like, oh, wow, I'm shaken by this stuff that I found out. And to criticize them as the less valiant ones, it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, and instead of going to those people and ministering to them and saying, hey, sincerely, we love you. And if there's anything, you know. I may not have all the answers to your questions. Like if they just said that, that would be awesome. But instead they have to explain why, Hey, we're still really right. And you guys are all super wrong. And by the way, if you don't repent very soon, you're going to be in big trouble. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So having said all of that, I mean, I get fired up with this as you know, and I think you get fired up too, but with good reason, the church tends to actively hurt people and we don't want that. So, where are you now? Like, where have you landed once you became conscious and aware of what's going on, once you stepped on the other side of the veil, if you will, and saw the world for what it is? And how, do you, how are you? Like, tell us, tell us all the things. Yeah, I think, I think it's hard anytime you leave the church or any, you know, religious hierarchy because you, you used to be able to outsource your morality entirely to that institution or to that hierarchy. And so you didn't have to think for yourself about morality. Seriously, you you really knew what the rules were and what you're supposed to do and exactly how you're supposed to behave because they told you. Mm -hmm. And I'm not supposed to drink coffee because it's bad and it's against the rules and it's immoral. And it, you know, like I just knew everything that I was supposed to do and what I wasn't supposed to do, most importantly. And so I think when you lose that, a lot of people lose structure and a lot of people have a hard time adjusting because they're like well what's okay like you know what what is what do i really think is right and wrong and um 
honestly, there's a lot of good values in the church. And so there's a lot of things that people are confused because they're like, well, I know the church is bad, but they taught me this thing. Just because they taught it to you doesn't mean it's bad, you know, and just because they taught it to you doesn't mean it's good. You have to go through that process and, and find out. And so I think taking ownership of your own beliefs and your own morality, I think that's hard. And it's also very, very rewarding because you go through that process of I'm living my life intentionally in ways that I think are right, instead of just taking the plan that was handed to me and going with it. Yeah. And it's so much more powerful when you create your own morality, because I recently read from Phil Drysdale, which I'm going to have him on the podcast too, this like hierarchy of morality and the levels of morality. And you have like, you're, you do good things because you want a reward. And then the second one is, I'm probably going to butcher this, but you do good things because you're afraid of consequence. And then you do good things because someone tells you to. And that's like where religion stops <laughs> on the hierarchy. But there's like four more levels above that where like, I do good things because I want to be a good person. And I would rather hang out with someone who does good things because they want to be a good person rather than hang out with the person who only does good things because they're afraid of consequences. Absolutely. Yeah, I love Phil. He's doing incredible work in the deconstruction space. Um, and yeah, I mean, for me, like just coming to a place where I'm like, morality, I think of it as I want to minimize the harm that I do to other people. And I want to maximize the the happiness or the good and the benefit that I do to myself and the people around me. And when you get to that, um, it makes it so much it, it makes it more complicated and harder to figure out what the right thing to do is in every situation. But it also means you, you really truly have free agency instead of, instead of the church's version of free agency, which is you can either follow our rules or you can go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think what I'm hearing you say is basically I have all of the freedom in the world, which is equally as exciting as it is terrifying, as it is daunting, as it is liberating. And now you can just choose whatever you want to do with that. Like, what choices are you going to make because you want to make them, not because someone is telling you to make them? So how do you think that has impacted your day-to-day -day life? Has it impacted your marriage? Has it impacted your relationship with your kids, uh, your day-to-day? -day? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, like, I mean, parenting is a whole separate thing, but I think parenting and religion, it used to be like, well, here's here's the handbook. Here's what you tell your kids to do. And here's all the behaviors that you hand on to them. And now, I mean, can you imagine if I took some of those quotes from Spencer W. Kimball and that's what I was teaching my kids, you know, mm. how much harm do I do to my kids by doing that? And so now I just, I think about, um, I, I have to really think about each kid and think about what, do, what do they need? Like, what's their personality? Like what, um, what are they going through right now? And that's how I have to approach it. And then I have some principles that I base it on, you know, like I want to help them become more, independent and more self-sufficient and i want to help them uh have their sovereignty and make decisions for themselves and not feel reliant on other people and those principles can guide what i do and what, how i talk to them and how i discuss situations with them but I, I want to be more of a consultant to them i don't want to tell them this is the way you have to live your life this is yeah. what you have to do you, you're going to go on a mission here's your 20-year plan and then you're going to get married and then you're out of my hands and you, you go live your life, you know, because that's a recipe for people ending up unfulfilled and not being happy. And so um, 
I want to play the role of a consultant for them and help them make their decisions. But ultimately, the decision is theirs, and they have to be the ones to, to deal with it and deal with the consequences and learn from it. Oh, my gosh. That is like you get a gold star. You get five gold stars for Parent of the Year because, you know, a lot of people just say, well, how are you going to raise children without the fear of God in them? It's like the exact opposite. I'm going to raise them with love, not fear. And so I love that perspective of giving your kids the option, letting them choose. I mean, obviously within boundaries, you're not going to you're not going to be like, yeah, go do whatever. Go kill people. Go still do all the things. But you can still give them boundaries while allowing them the freedom to make their own decisions and make their own choices and let them feel the rewards of doing something right because they chose it and you know that that good feeling of oh I did the right thing not out of fear again like I just think that's the backwards way to raise children you need to raise them in an environment that is cultivated with love and acceptance and open arms and exploration and independence, not this tunnel visioned. If you don't do this, these consequences will happen. Yeah. And I think you've seen this probably too, but like a lot of parents in Mormonism, first of all, they have the plan, right? You have to do this, this, and this, and we're going to force you to go to church every week. And we're going to force you to get your Eagle Scout and all this stuff. And I think that, forces parents a lot of times to feel like they should be more it makes them more anxious parents they're worried about every every bad decision their kid could make every mistake they could make they feel responsible for their kids decisions this decision is so important that i can't let them mess it up you know i can't let them fail their math test why not let them fail their let them fail at some things let them fail and let them find out that oh actually you know, I, I don't really like that feeling. I, that wasn't a good experience. Obviously, like you said, within limits, I mean, there's, there's boundaries that you have to have. But I think that mentality of I, I would have had in the church, I was much more anxious about what if my kids do this? What if they mess up? What if most, most kids want to do the right thing? They want to, you know, they want to progress. They want to become individual, like, or, you know, independent and, and um, self-sufficient. You don't have to constantly force them it actually causes a backfire effect you know so anyway those are just some things i mean there's a lot of other things i've learned after leaving just about growth and healing and secular buddhism has been a big part of my journey and just understanding Mm -hmm. that suffering is universal and you're not the first person to experience anything no matter what you've done no matter what you've gone through someone else has been there before you know and you there's just a lot of meaning i think in those a lot of those things that i never understood before because I was focused very narrowly on Mormonism. And so, um, yeah, there's just, there's a lot of benefits that I've gotten from secular Buddhism, stoicism. Um, a lot of those traditions that I would have thought before are like, well, these are inferior to my religion. You know, I don't need these because I have Mormonism. So wait, what is stoicism? Yeah. Stoicism is a a Greek philosophical tradition. Um, Marcus Aurelius is kind of the, uh, main proponent of stoicism or, you know, one of the main authors. So he wrote, he wrote, his own personal diary, essentially, which is now published called Meditations. So Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. And he just talks about, you know, he talks about a lot of different things. Um, One thing, you know, just one one of his teachings, he says, when you wake up in the morning, tell yourself, I'm going to meet with people who are difficult and ornery and hard to deal with. That's just the reality of it. And if I brace myself now, I won't be so frustrated and so upset when it happens because I know it's going to happen. It happens every day. I'm going to run into those people. So I need to be prepared. You know, I can prepare myself 
for the world. And when I go out my front door, I already know what's coming. I don't need to get upset. I don't need to be reactive. I don't need to get mad. Um, I can I can take it in stride. And those are kind of you know some of the Stoic ideas. Similar, a, a lot of similarities between Stoicism and and secular Buddhism. That's amazing because you found something that works for you and something that makes you happy and is not causing harm to other people. And look at you now. Look at the amazing things you're doing. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I, I think there's just a lot of things that I I never allowed myself to look into, you know, like those some of those traditions we just talked about. And I because I because when you think you already know the truth, you're no longer looking for it, right? And so mm. when you think when you're so sure that you've already got it, then you're you're not actually trying to find out anything more because you already know that you you have the best thing right yeah it stops exploration it stops curiosity it stops growth learning expansion yeah anything else you would like to add before we sign off here no i'll just say my linda listen which is um you know i would say to to president nelson uh president elks president hiring top the top dogs in the church um when you claim to speak for god and you, you claim to be the mouthpiece directly for God. You deserve to have every word you say in God's name scrutinized. And that's what I'm hoping to do with my Instagram page. Amazing. Two hands up. Amen to that. What is your Instagram page and how can they follow you? Besides, I'll put it in the link below, but give us a shout out. Yeah, so um, my Instagram handle is true underscore Mormon underscore quotes. Um, so at true Mormon quotes. Um, that's really where I, I post everything, you know, uh, quotes and posting the stories a lot as well. So thank you so much, Brian, for having your coming out moment beyond <laughs> cults to consciousness. Absolutely. <laughs> I am truly honored. Um, we always have fun conversations and, um, it's great chatting with you. So to everyone listening, um, like subscribe to all the things, comment below your favorite true Mormon quote or your least favorite i guess the one that pissed you off the most tell us tell us which one you you like or didn't like or if you have any other quotes that you would like to submit comment them below thank you so much for listening until next time follow your highest excitement be conscious and be well thanks for listening if you like what you hear it would mean a lot if you could like and subscribe on youtube and leave a review or a comment to help with our visibility you can also find me on social media at Colts to Consciousness or reach out by email at Colts to Consciousness at gmail.com.